Good afternoon. It is Friday, September 14th, 2012, and our Executive Girlfriends Group show is coming to you from New York City today, uh, actually from a yellow cab. So if you hear honks and horns and sirens, you will know uh, the reason why. We have, a, and for that non-traditional show, we have a very non-traditional guest today. Our guest is the author of an very interesting, uh, very practical book called Briefcase Essentials. Discover your 12 natural talents for achieving success in a male-dominated workplace. And uh, our guest, Susan Spencer, uh, again, knows an awful lot about working in a male-dominated workplace, uh, having been the in-house counsel for the Philadelphia Eagles. Susan, welcome. Thank you very much. It's exciting to be with you. And I'm I'm here in a radio studio in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, wow. And I forgot to mention that you actually were promoted uh, to uh, VP and general manager uh, of the club. But I thought we'd start with you telling us about your early career and, you know, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I have to I have to kind of thank my mother and blame my mother because she said, <laughs> be a teacher, you can always get a job. So I didn't realize in the... 60s that I, when I was in school that actually I could be a lawyer, so it took me a little longer. So I, when I graduated college, I followed her instruction, and I was a teacher, and I taught school, junior high school, for about five years. Uh, loved it, and surprisingly, 45 years later, I still hear from some of my students. I guess I must somebody must have done something right. I don't know. Oh, wow. Uh, and I still keep in touch with a couple of them who are now fully grown and have their own families. And uh, in the fifth year of teaching, I felt that the school district was very, it, it was really going down and there was no discipline. And I used to be able to send the, the kids to, de, to, to detention or send them to the principal's office. But starting year five, we had to handle our problems ourselves. And you, mm. you, can't, you can't handle problems yourself when kids are unruly and you've got a really, you're, from a, you're in a tough part of town. And kids right. get up and they want to throw erasers and all kinds of stuff, and they start cursing at you. You just can't handle it. Now, certainly not a young woman that's in the classroom uh, trying to hold her credibility. So, right. um, and, and the introduction of my book kind of gives you the story of what I did to this one kid, which was in those days you would do, but today you could never do it. Because um, oh, exactly. I, yeah. Uh, so. I was a little discouraged, and I said, you know what, there must be something better because this is not rewarding anymore. I'm spending more time disciplining and almost no time teaching. So I decided to, to um, uh, look elsewhere. I, uh, at that point in time, I got divorced from my first husband. I had a little girl, two years old. We moved to Florida, and I used to play a lot of tennis when I was a teenager and also uh, in college. So I was on the tennis courts on the weekends, and I did substitute teaching during the week. And uh -huh. loved, hated the outfits. So I said, you know what? I can't stand these tennis outfits. I'm not just not built like <laughs> most of these women. I have, you know, hips, and I have legs, and, and I have a bust, and most of these women are flat. So anyway, you know, they've got great figures. I'm a little more curvy. So uh, I decided to make my, have my own dresses made because that way they would fit my, my shape. And as a result of that, that one thing led to another, and I ended up being in the tennis, tennis dress manufacturing business and had a very oh successful goodness. line of tennis clothes for about five years. Brought in a partner, a male partner, I might add, 
Uh, didn't know much about him. I went to high school with him, but didn't know how what a big of an a-hole he really was. And uh, and clearly he was. And as a result of that, the business was destroyed. The partnership was broken up, and the business ended up being dissolved. And I ended up with thousands of tennis dresses in a warehouse that I had oh, to liquidate goodness. to pay off the bank. So it was a, it was a hard lesson, but a very good lesson. The only way you learn in business. The hard lessons is when you lose your own money. Then oh, you absolutely. really figure it out. You really figure it <laughs> I, out. I have been, been there, done that, have a whole briefcase full of T-shirts. <laughs> hey, I know, the, I know the feeling. And, it, you know, you have, to, you have to make mistakes in business, mistakes of judgment, maybe not mistakes in some things you should cover. Uh, right. One company I bought, I didn't do my homework. I didn't do due diligence. My head was too big. I said, God, I can fix anything. I've been so successful and blah, blah, blah. Didn't do enough of my own research, and I bought a bad company that never got done. Oh. I've done that one, too. Done that one, too. But my head got a lot smaller after that. <laughs> wow. Well, we have a lot in common other than going to law school. <laughs> I never did that. Yeah, well, that's all right. I, you know, I did it only because my partner sued me, and I didn't know how that whole legal process worked. And and it led to so many other things. Being a lawyer, not necessarily practicing law, but having a law right. degree, I found for women, is the single thing you can do to get instant credibility. It seems ridiculous, but right. men still have a stereotype that women are kind of not that smart. And as a result of that, when they think that they're a lawyer and they're not a lawyer, or even if they are a lawyer, they have a whole different respect for you. So it gives you instant credibility. Um, And and I've I've advised many, many women in my career that if you have if you have the desire to be a lawyer, even just even not to practice it, but have that knowledge, go back, go to night school, take courses, even if it takes five years and get yourself a degree, because if you're in corporate America, it will lead you much higher to the top floor. Yeah, exactly. My my uh, sister said, you know, I've got to live the next eight years of my life. You know, why not be a lawyer at the end of it? And and she did. And she's never practiced law because she's in, in academia. But, uh, yeah, it's made a big difference for her. Oh, it does. And, you know, there, there isn't a lot of things that women can do specifically except except to have a law degree that gives them that kind of credibility. You, you, you know, right. you pay your dues, you do it eight or ten years, and maybe you get credibility and maybe you get moved up and maybe you don't. Right. But right. that law degree is indispensable. It really is. And, and and I use it a lot. I don't write contracts and I don't do my own defense and stuff and I don't do my own litigation because I'm smart enough to know I'm not that good a lawyer because I don't practice. Right. But it also helps, it helps you so much in business. It really does. So you went to Villanova, and, uh, and and then you ended up in a large Philadelphia law firm. And and That's so, right. how did you end up with the Eagles? Did you did well, you love football, or was this something that that just uh, happened? Um, it would not have been my choice because I don't like a high profile lifestyle. I like to be below the radar. I don't like people to draw attention to me. It's not that mm-hmm. I'm not secure, I am, but I don't need that kind of attention. I it, Once you're comfortable with who you are as a human being, you don't need all the adulation. You don't need all this false praise. You just don't need it. And I don't want it. I, I never wanted it. So I wasn't looking to get a high profile at all. I was hoping to keep a low one. 
But um, my dad owned a team in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles. We were not friends because I was way too aggressive and way too much of a uh, kind of a, a male kind of guy. Not male in terms of looking male, right. very feminine, but nevertheless, him, uh, he had no boys. He he loved, you know, he didn't like girls particularly, but he had two daughters. He was stuck with us. So I learned football when I was three years old. Wow. Because um, he was around it his whole time. We had coaches at the house every weekend, famous coaches that when I look back on them, I, they weren't famous to me. So I was surrounded right. with football most of my life. Loved the game, learned to understand the game, learned to appreciate the game, and followed it just as a hobby, but certainly not as somebody working in the industry. Um, But because I was a a young lawyer in Philadelphia, um, and I was a cheap lawyer because I was young, uh, one night at dinner, my dad said to me uh, um, something about, I said, I raised the subject with him and said, how much are you paying for your legal representation? Because I was looking for clients. And he right. said, uh, uh, well, I, all I can tell you is the head of the firm is my lawyer. I said, but for what you do in the in the football business, you don't need a high-priced lawyer because most of the big stuff's being handled by the NFL. So right. I said, I'll bet you're paying three, four, five hundred thousand a year for that guy. He said, yep. And I said, I'll do it for 50 grand. He goes, okay, start tomorrow. <laughs> So that was it. That's how I got my job. It wasn't. It wasn't so maybe I was you should wanted. have said a hundred. <laughs> I know. I could have bit my tongue after that. Um, but I, I only worked there part time in the beginning. I worked two days a week, and uh, so he saved himself about four hundred fifty grand a year. Not bad, huh? Not bad. <laughs> so I got the job not because I was overqualified or overdesired, underdesired and underqualified, but nevertheless I got the job. And it gave me an entree to really snoop into the business. And I wasn't allowed to, but I did it anyway. You know, I I just had that curiosity that most women have. That's what's great about us is we're very curious about everything. We ask a lot of questions. And And hey, Susan, I am heading into a tunnel. I hope not to lose you, but if I do, I will call right back in, I promise. Okay, that's good. Um, You know, tunnels are interesting things. So <laughs> they are most most of the things in my book are autobiographical and and true to true to what happened in an abbreviated fashion, so that other women can get a sense of what is it really like to be in the trenches. And football was a very unique five years for me. I didn't right. become a general manager by choice. I became a general manager when my dad fired the general manager of the team after me being there three years and told me to fire everybody else. So I looked around oh, and I went, oh, well, damn it, I guess I'm the general manager. <laughs> so I was never named the general manager officially, but I was the general manager. I was the acting general manager. But that was right. because my dad could never envision a woman being in that job. Um, but I was. So, you know, that generation, probably there's still some residue of the the male chauvinistic generation of parents, male parents, still out there, not as certainly as much as there there was in the 80s, certainly not 70s and 80s, but a, but a lot of it, and there's probably still some of it out there, where women aren't right. looked at as being equals. You know, they're not looked at as being equally intelligent, equally strong, equally having the guts to do things that maybe aren't good to do, but you have to do them because they're not, uh, that's the way it is in business sometimes. Um, right. 
And um, I think over the course of the two years that I was there, I actually turned a profit for the first time in 18 years they ever made a profit. Mm. Um, but it was too late. He had too much debt in the team, and, it, and the team either we were either going to move it to Arizona and save it right. or sell it, and he didn't want to move it. So we sold it. He sold I sold it for him, but we sold it. Right. <laughs> and um, uh, then I was out of a job, which was fine, because it was five years of exciting time, but a time for me that was very tough because I was so visible and so disliked because I was the go-to person to blame everything on. And that's right. what you do in, in a sport. Fans blame you for everything. So they want to pick somebody that they can blame, and I was the perfect female candidate for that anger. Oh, um, wow. So it was uh, it was tough. My daughter was in junior high school, and we'd come home crying every day that everybody hates her. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, and so it's kind of, you, you have this, and I'd say, tough it up, you know. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and I, but I wouldn't go out in public at all because I couldn't, not certainly not in Philadelphia, because I was too right. well known and I was too disliked. So I always had a lot of conversations and a lot of booze, and I really didn't think I wanted to encourage that. So it was not a wonderful last couple of years in Philadelphia, but it was a very insightful time because if right. you can handle people actually articulating how much they dislike a woman in that job, it really gives you a sense of what you need to do and how you need to deal with it. And I dealt with it with good humor. I dealt with it with smiles. I never turned an ugly face and never lashed out at anybody. I um, I just learned to bear it and handle it well, and that's important for women. They must right. handle this kind of discrimination well, not angrily, because it doesn't right. work when you do it that way. It really doesn't. Right. So after the team was sold, you started your own food distribution company. And uh, within right. three years, that, that company was doing $10 million in sales. And, you know, I mean, I, I am an entrepreneur myself, so I absolutely applaud you for, for landing well and, and figuring that out. But I'm sure that wasn't without its struggles as well. Oh, no. You know, I was down at the docks early in the morning, and I was still getting – the only good news was I wasn't getting booze anymore. I was getting whistled, so I kind of liked that. <laughs> it was like – it was so refreshing. It went from all the booze and all the negative to being on the docks in the morning, picking out vegetables and having all of the guys, you know, never saw a woman on the dock, and a pair of legs was important to them. So uh, I got a lot of whistles, so it kind of built my ego back up. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So when did you first decide that you were going to write a book? That, that's, a, uh, that's a pretty big leap from, uh, you know, the, the varied career you had had. Did, did something suggest that you put a book? Well, when I sold my last business, which was in 2005, I was thinking about putting down on paper exactly why I was as successful as I was as a woman in a male-dominated field my whole life. And I thought it was important for women to know that, that you can do, you can actually, you can work through this maze and you can get through it on the other end in a positive result. And uh, so that's why I wrote it. Well, Susan, your book uh, achieved uh, just amazing success, and and, uh, normally I would have uh, a copy of the book or or at least your table of contents in front of me to walk people uh, through 
uh, kind of the framework of the book and, and what those 12 natural talents are. Since I am in a taxi cab in New York, can you just walk us through those 12 natural talents? I know we don't have time to talk about each one in depth, but I would like for women uh, who listen to this show at least uh, to be able to walk away from the, the short 30-minute discussion with understanding what they are at the high level, and then perhaps we can schedule another time when we can dig in deeper. Well, you know what's interesting is I haven't looked at my book in a couple, in about two years, a year and a half, so I'll, let's see if I can still remember them. Um, the first example I give in the book is when I was in the uh, tennis dress business and how it was so difficult to find people to do what I wanted them to do. And that one is persistence. Yeah, we are very persistent. Women naturally are more persistent. They're more persistent and they're more patient. Those are two incredible right. qualities. I don't say be patient forever. I say put all the markers down and be patient only as long as you can stand it. <laughs> um, <laughs> because everybody's different. Some people have a higher threshold of patience. I didn't. So I would push, right. push, push and then maybe push back a little and then push again. But patience is really important. Uh, one thing that women do, most women, but some don't, that really bothers me because it's such an advantage for women, is many women ask for help from guys or women, whoever's willing to help them. They have no right. problem saying, I don't understand this. Can you tell me what it means? Or I don't know how to get this, how to get at this particular sales customer, can you give me some suggestions on how you think I can sell them? Asking for help is the best compliment you can give a guy. The best. Mm. Because what you're saying is, I appreciate you. I think you're credible. I think you're smart. And I don't know as much as you do. So can you tell me? So when you ask them, they don't say, oh, go away. They go, oh, let me give you the whole chapter and verse, you know? So it's, exactly. it's a really, really important quality that we have. We're able to ask. Men never ask other men at all. They may ask them for right. help in a, in a guy's way, but they're not going to ask them for information because they don't want to admit they don't know it. Um, one of my important uh, qualities that women have, and some women need to need to, this is not necessarily coming naturally to you. It did to me, but it doesn't come to every woman. And that's to be very engaging. And what I mean by that is if you're going to open doors, you have to be a communicator. You have to have a friendly face. You have to be welcoming, not standoffish. And you have to be uh, – uh, it's not being pushy so much. It's really being able to, when you meet somebody, shake their hand, ask them some questions, and let them think you really are engaged with them, interested in them, because it opens so many doors. When you go to see, you know, if you look at men, when they shake each other's hands, they don't even make eye contact. Well, you've got to make eye contact, and you've got to get something out of that first meeting. They've gotta, you've got to make right. an impression when you first meet people. So um, that's one that isn't natural for a lot of women, but it needs to be. You need to, right. you need to make it natural. Um, women are also in their businesses inclusive. They include everybody. Everybody's part of the family. Everybody. And, I, and I've talked to a lot of female entrepreneurs, and we all have the same things that we say about it. Is it, it is part of a family. We do consider our employees our family, and we take care of them in that way. 
So right. that's something that does come naturally for us. Um, one of the things that women also tend to be is very detail-oriented and very knowledgeable. They'll learn something inside and out. They'll research it till they're till they're blind. <laughs> and that's a really, really good quality. A really, it's very important, and it gets you very far because when you when you know your facts, people are going to start to come to you. So that being knowledgeable is very important. Don't don't uh, don't sell yourself short on that one. There's also right. some qualities that women have, uh, such as their empathy, that people think is a negative. You know, oh, she's always crying. Well, empathy isn't crying. Empathy is feeling for somebody else and being able to put yourself in their place. Do I right. think you should cry in the workplace? No, I don't. Do I think that you can cry afterwards? Of course. Go in a private place. Yeah, and did do you, you ever to feel do. like crying? <laughs> yeah, did you ever feel like it? Many times. And uh, in my book, I give you the story that I committed the ultimate sin. I cried in front of people that I was, shouldn't have cried in front of. But right. it turned out to be okay. Um, that was uh, that's an incident when I shut down a meat plant and put 200 people out of work. And I, oh, I just felt so badly that I stood up in, in the cafeteria and had to tell them. And uh, I felt miserable about it because I, I couldn't save the business. So uh, in, in that case, it turned out, as you'll read in the book, to be a positive. But I learned that maybe that wasn't the best strategy. It wasn't a purpose. It just happened. Uh, well, my worst crying I story is I cried in front of Japanese businessmen. Oh, very bad. Oh, Ew. my gosh. That, that was like the triple whammy, and, uh, and and I lost the deal over it. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd you lose all, on all face. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two years oh, yeah. I had worked on a deal uh, with a major uh, Japanese uh, electronics manufacturer. And well, I you got to be doing that again. Just remember well, the inscrutable. See, read a couple of those books. You got to be inscrutable. You know, you look at people, and you never you know go. where they are. I would, if I was your buddy at that time, I would have said, "You must be inscrutable." <laughs> um, but we do let our natural. Sometimes, sometimes it, it's okay, and sometimes it's not. In your case, it wasn't. In my case, I got away with it. But I don't recommend it at all. Um, right. I tell women all the time, you must. Stand your ground. Do not yep. let a bully push you around. Do not let people that you strongly believe are telling you a lie or making up a story, do not let them. Don't go away. Right. You must stand your ground. You don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be a jerk. But you can take a very professional position and say, no, that's incorrect. I will not do that. Uh, you get a lot of respect when you do that and a lot of surprise from guys who think that women will not stand their ground. Right. And that's why you must do it when you when you truly believe you have to. Because otherwise you, you compromise all of your principles. Um, you have to be resourceful. You know, women <laughs> are very resourceful. It's not multitasking. That's that's something that I think women shouldn't do. I think they do one thing well and go from there. I just don't right. think it's something that we can do well in every field. Uh, being resourceful is trying to figure out if something doesn't work for you to figure another way creatively to go around it and do it. And we are resourceful without a doubt. As I said before, we are empathetic, which is a good thing. We can we can really understand what other people are thinking. And if we can understand what they're thinking and doing, we can figure out how to deal with them. 
And so we pick out personality traits very easily. Um, we are genetically much more able to be sensitive in our perceptive communication. We have a peripheral eyesight that's better. We're not colorblind like men are, most men. We're able to see inside somebody's soul. We can tell body language. We watch it. We learn it. We understand it. It gives us a tremendous edge on everything we do. So don't be afraid to use those perceptive communication resources that you come naturally with. We, our brains are a little different. They're wider. Uh, our connectors are closer. And because of that, we get signals much faster. So it, it helps us in our flexibility. It helps us in our ability to think of five different reasons for something instead of one. Um, and these are all things that we come to the table with that give us such an edge. So don't be afraid to use them all. Because if right. you use them all, you'll be very successful. Now, Susan, one of the other components of your book, and just I, I know uh, we need to bring this to a close because you've got another radio show to go to, but uh, kind of the last half of the tagline of your book is how women can learn to talk football. And, you know, I know that so often um, – you know, we aren't comfortable fitting in, uh, you know, particularly to the social side of business. And some women have learned how to golf, and, you know, that, that can kind of pull them into that social circle. But uh, are we meant to take this literally, or are we supposed to no, learn how to you are. football? You no, absolute, you absolutely are, and I'll tell you why. It doesn't have to be football. It can be basketball. It can be college bas basketball football. It can be soccer. I don't care what sport it is. It has uh -huh. to be a sport that men are interested in. If you learn a sport in terms of the elements of it, not the technical part, and actually right. get into watching games and start being able to know enough that you can actually spot things, which is not difficult. And I have a, a series of 25 audios that I did on uh, YouTube and also on iTunes called QB Talk, Quarterback Talk. If you and it's it's only two hours. I think it's an hour and a half or two hours. The total series. If you can start getting interested in a sport, and you can pursue that, you will have something to talk to a guy about, except business and sex. You don't want to talk about the sex part. That leads you in a wrong place. And if you can, if you can talk football or basketball or soccer, I guarantee you, number one, you'll get a husband. And number two, you'll be much more successful in business. Not because oh, well, I do it, but because right. it does so much, it opens so many doors for you. Well, Susan, don't thank be stubborn. You. <laughs> right. Don't be right. stubborn and well, say, I don't want to learn something they like. We'll learn to like it. Well, I've got a 12-year-old son, so it's not hard to watch sports on uh, on the weekends because he is so totally into it. Well, well, get the QB talk, listen to that, and then you'll be able to ask him questions and tell him things, and you'll floor him. He'll be your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And can you uh, give folks the uh, address to access your blog? Um, sure. It's, uh, it's www.briefcaseessentials.com. Okay, wonderful. And you also write for Huffington Post and... And, and Forbes, yeah, I do a Forbes.com, and I I do, uh, and I also write a sports column for Bleacher Report. So I'm busy. <laughs> it sounds like you are. And and what's the name of your radio show that you're you're going off to do? And it streams live every day from 10 to 12 Pacific Coast time, 
It's called Not Just Sports, and it's on a station that's www.kdwn.com, and they stream it live every day. Oh, very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, I'm just I'm so delighted to meet you and can't wait to finish your book. Oh, great. Let's keep in touch. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Executive Girlfriends Group. For more information, see www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Thanks. Have a great weekend.